It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Today's guest is someone that I found on a platform that is near and dear to me these days. If you've been listening to our show for a while, you can probably guess what I'm about to say. No, it's not Clubhouse. It is TikTok. TikTok is my favorite social media platform right now. And I discover a lot of really incredible people on there. And sometimes someone really stands out. And I think to myself, I have to have this person on our podcast, or at least I have to invite them. I guess I can't force anyone to be on the show. But uh, Charlene, our guest, is one of those people. And I saw her lovely TikTok videos a few months ago. And I was really intrigued because I love her style of educating people from a really practical, easy, non-intimidating standpoint. And on that note, it is really refreshing because sometimes I go on TikTok and I feel overwhelmed by all the advice and I'll fall into the comparison trap. I find myself feeling like I'm not good enough. I'm not doing things right. I get burnt out by all this social media advice on there. And Charlene, your videos had the opposite effect on me. I felt comforted. I felt empowered. I felt excited. And I just wanted to dive into your content. And now every time I look at your account, I feel uplifted and happy. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you found me. Is it because I show my cats so often or is it the sales tips or that I feature wine so frequently in my videos? What do you think captured your attention? Well, all of the above, but especially the email tips that you offered because I love optimizing my communication. And that's actually a theme of our show indirectly. We talk about things like personality tests. We talk about things that we've learned as entrepreneurs. And we actually haven't talked that much about email, which I think is one of the things I'm really excited to discuss with you today because we email so much as a society right now. It's a huge form of communication. Of course, we text as well. We DM and that kind of falls into that same category. But email is something that can be really tricky. And what I loved about your videos is just the simple tweaks that you could make. For example, you're very passionate about trying to limit the number of sentences or paragraphs that start with the letter I, as in I, Whitney. And that's actually something that I was trained to do in school. But I recognize that Not everybody has that background, especially if you didn't study writing, didn't study copywriting or marketing. Like, and even people that study those things, I think, make those mistakes. You know, Jason has a background in copywriting. I'm curious, are you mindful of when you start a sentence, Jason, with like the letter I, for example? I am. It was a result actually of kind of doing some A B testing when I first started doing email marketing. I think I first started doing email marketing. Oh, wow. What was this? Maybe early 2010. And I remember my list was very, very small. And I remember observing the open rates when I would talk too much about myself, of course, which I think is an easy thing to default to. And then when I started talking about you and your and directing it to them as a singular individual, I think that mindset shift for me too was 
remembering that I'm sending this email or I'm making this YouTube video or I'm sending this DM to an individual person, a singular person. I mean, sometimes people get together and watch YouTube videos together, but most of the time we're watching or reading or receiving an email on our own individually. And so I remember making that pivot as a copywriter and watching the response change to that. The other thing, though, I do want to say, Charlene, to answer your question, I know Whitney's here for the email. Yes, I'm here for the email too, but I'm actually here for the cats. Let's just get that out of the way from the beginning. I am here for the cats because I am a cat man. I've been a cat man all my life and I have a house full of cats. It might be a problem. I don't know. That's up to interpretation. You know, I never thought I would be an old cat lady and I am. I'm only, I'm not even 53 yet for a few more months, <laughs> but I have turned into a cat lady. And literally my husband, I've been married 22 years. We've never had animals until this past year. And my husband looked at me at one point and he's like, how did this happen? <laughs> how do we end up being cat people? Because at any given moment, we have at least two cats, sometimes three. We foster cats who need homes for short periods of time. So yeah, we could talk about cats and also on the email thing, Whitney, gosh, you know, I am such an email geek, I have to say. I wrote the book, The Email Cemetery, as kind of like a fun Sunday morning, you know, activity that then a publisher asked me to write a book from these blogs that I was writing. And the reason why I love email so much is it is such a great diagnostic tool for all of the head trash that we have as people and as entrepreneurs. And so even though some people might listen to this or might see my TikToks, and actually, I don't know if you've seen some of the comments I get on TikTok, you know, some of them are, let's say, not so friendly. And they're like, you know, boy, what is this picky shit? You know, why are you hounding on these tiny words? And it is because it's a symptom of a much, often a much bigger problem or, you know, issue that's going on. So that's really why I love it. It's really more as a diagnostic tool. It is not about being perfect. Gosh, you know, there's no perfection anywhere in life. So that's not what it's about. And if you are intentional about the language you use, particularly in writing, it's amazing how much more effective it can be. And more importantly, you feel better about it, which is really my goal. It's I do want people to have good results as entrepreneurs, as people. And also, it has to feel right. You know when you send a message and it doesn't quite jive, right? Have you ever had that experience? A hundred percent. And I think that's what draws me into this. In fact, earlier today, I was on the receiving end of somebody's message that was written with so much intention, but it was still misinterpreted, right? And it's so interesting how easy it is for us to phrase things in a way that aren't clear. And I've actually started using a variety of different tools online. I love any sort of AI. I use Grammarly. And then the other one I'm using right now, I have to pull up. I'm curious if you're familiar with this too. Let me see here. It's I think it's called like Hemingway or something like that. I'll link to it in the show notes along with your amazing book, Charlene, and any other resources for the listener who hasn't visited our website before. It's W E L L. E-V-A-T-R.com. You should be able to see it underneath 
in the description of this episode, no matter what podcast player you're on. Or again, you can go directly to wellevator.com. You'll find a transcript of this episode if you want to read some of it or all of it. You'll find all the links and the various tools we might bring up, plus Charlene's amazing TikTok, which has tons of great advice. Anyways, the clarity is something that I think we can strive towards. And it's interesting, Charlene, that you get that feedback. I remember I saw one of your videos where somebody said, like, who made you the king of emails? And you're like, actually, I'm the queen of emails. <laughs> and it was so cute. Yeah, they said, who made you the god of emails? And I said, actually, I prefer to be called the queen of emails. And by the way, you mentioned Grammarly. I also have a funny video because maybe it's just me. But I misspell Grammarly every time I put it in. I don't know why. It's a mental block I have. And so I tweeted about how I usually spell the word grammar wrong when I put it into the URL. I know how to spell it. It's just a tick or something. And Grammarly actually retweeted my tweet. And they said, don't worry, you're not alone. It happens more often than you would guess. And that's exactly why we spell out our name wellevator.com because like people have no idea how to spell that, right? And it's interesting because when we made that decision, it was more like actually because the domain name with a wellevate, which is what we normally wanted. But no matter what we had named our domain and our brand, I bet you people still would have confused it. And even something like Grammarly, which I just think of very naturally as like a term now is confusing if you're not used to it. But even when you are, Charlene, it's amazing how you can still misspell something because your brain's not processing that way. And that happens in emails all the time, which is exactly why I use tools like Grammarly. The other one that I did mention is called Hemingway. I think it's a Hemingway app. Have you used that one? Are you familiar with it? I'm not, although I am a big fan of the writer. <laughs> there you go. Yes, it's named after a writer for anyone else who, who didn't know. And it's really neat because it's all about making things more readable. And it also helps your writing be more bold and clear. So I feel like this is a perfect thing for you to talk about on TikTok, Charlene, when you try it out. See, I just gave you a new content idea. Thank you. Yeah, that's always the challenge on TikTok for me when I have time to actually record a video. If I haven't already kind of written out what I want to do, it's coming up with fresh content and something that is entertaining and informative. And I think you alluded to this earlier, really allows me to be myself, which I am a weirdo of many years and I embrace the term proudly. And so I like to be a little theatrical and make the funny faces and, you know, have fun with it. So my goal is to if not just share that with the world, at least have fun for myself. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's really the appeal of TikTok. But it is interesting because I find that I have to switch out of my Instagram mode. You know, after being on Instagram since I think like 2011 or 12, I've been in this habit of trying to make everything polished and, and, perfect looking and going back to what you said before, Charlene, about perfectionism. And I wonder if people get triggered whenever they think they're being pushed towards perfectionism because TikTok is that place where people feel like they can show their imperfect selves. And I think that's one of the reasons it works so well. And I have to constantly check myself, but also at the same time embrace my style. And my current style is 
a little on the polished side, but I like that. I feel kind of more comfortable there. And for me, it's actually very uncomfortable to show like my silly sides on there because I'm just not used to doing it. So it's wonderful that you are. And I've been really encouraging Jason to do more on TikTok because he is just like you, Charlene, in that he likes to be goofy and have fun and get into character and really express himself in some unique ways. Yeah. And you can bring your cats. See, so you can use my videos as example, Jason, and star your cats in your videos. Yeah, I feel like I get a bit, what is the word here? I feel like with having a personal brand, you know, we've got our Wellevator brand and our podcast, but then Whitney and I have our individual brands that we still operate and send emails and do social media. So we have these multiple balls that we're juggling. And I think where I get caught up is the line between wanting to be quote professional and give people value and give people tools and ebooks and courses and the things that we put out but then also showing who i am even if it's goofy and out there and weird and i think that i i get stuck on where those two worlds merge and maybe i just i have a tendency to overthink things and maybe that's where i'm at with it of well how does this fit in my brand and if i'm doing these goofy music videos where i'm dressing up my cats in costumes and singing original songs about my cats what the hell does that have to do with wellness and helping people but maybe if it's just bringing joy to someone's day, maybe that's enough. I don't know. I still have a massive resistance around being on TikTok. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite sayings, I didn't invent this, but somebody once said that everything is better when you are more you, whatever that means. And so for me, it's, I resisted this particularly early in my entrepreneurial career. I left corporate seven years ago, left a very cushy global, you know, director job at Gartner and was, you know, on the surface anyway, living a pretty glamorous life, then decided, you know, after a few too many meetings where I said things like, you don't pay me enough for this bullshit. You know, I finally decided to start my own business. And I thought, well, surely I was doing about $38 million a year in sales at the time. I said, surely if I could sell millions of dollars worth of their crap, like I should be able to do something <laughs> to represent myself and make a living. And I thought it would be easier than it was, of course. I bet many people listening to this have been through that. And it wasn't long in starting my own business before I was crying in my Cheerios saying, they paid me enough. They paid me enough. <laughs> that's so relatable it's such a relatable feeling right because we take this leap of faith as you did and you have this at least i can relate to having an expectation of how i thought it would go you know and i remember and whitney i'd be curious to to reflect back on when you left your last corporate job i remember thinking like oh yeah i'm stepping up with all this confidence and i've got all these life skills and i I've been doing my thing. I was a copywriter and a marketing director for uh, over a decade before I, I branched out and started my own business and thought, oh, I'm going to take all this marketing experience and you know all this you know working for these global ad agencies and I know what I'm doing and then stepped out into that unknown and went, oh my God, oh my God. Okay, we are hurtling toward the earth at a very rapid pace. We have jumped off the cliff and we may die. We may die, but luckily, you know, 11 years later, we're not dead. But it is that feeling of like, what? <laughs> for me, it was like, what have I done? What have I chosen to do? I love that. You're like, well, luckily, we're not dead. <laughs> and I would say it's interesting that you say that particular term, because one of the things that motivated me and many people have asked me kind of how I've done 
what I've done. And I really think part of it is a keen sense of my own mortality and understanding that most of what we do is not life or death on a day-to-day basis. And also like every day is precious. In the beginning, I thought I had to be a certain way. You know, I created a as you mentioned before, a brand. I thought that I was targeting a certain type of corporate executive and I had to be buttoned up. And just for example, you know, when I turned 50 or just before I turned 50, I wanted to get my first tattoo. And I had friends that say, well, you better get it in a place that doesn't show because, you know, people in corporate won't take you seriously, you know, with a tattoo. And I have to tell you, never have I been happier and more successful in my business than the day that I had professional pictures, my new headshots taken, where my tattoo is prominently displayed and it's just part of who I am. And I'm kind of done trying to be something that I'm not. It's been, of course, rewarded so that, you know, just the way the brain works, you know, we we want to do what we get uh, rewarded for. So I find that, the again, the more... I'm just myself. It's so much easier for me. I attract people naturally who I want to work with and I want to spend time with. And I have a lot more fun and I get to make a much bigger impact on the world versus trying to sort of push through to try to be something for somebody else that doesn't come naturally to me. And so I think in a way that it's an evolution for us all to figure out and we change too. You know, we, we also were a work in progress all the time, right? Yeah, I think that's such timely advice, Charlene, when Whitney and I have talked about how easy it is to look at so-called gurus, experts, masters, thought leaders, influencers. There's all this new terminology that seems to have emerged, I think, in the public social lexicon in the last five to seven years. But, you know, we hear this advice on one hand of people saying, find a hero or an avatar and shadow them or mirror them, or we hear the term success leaves clues. And so many of these influencers, thought leaders, authors, et cetera, have like, you know, follow my 12 step roadmap. This is how I made, you know, this is how I made 10 figures. And this is how, you know, I grew my arm back. And this is how I manifested the entire life I want. And I think sometimes what I feel is in the past as an entrepreneur, and Whitney and I certainly agree on this, is we've followed those roadmaps and those steps too closely and had expectations that if we just did the exact same things our, quote, heroes did or the people we admire, we'd get the same result. But I've noticed that in that process, oftentimes we didn't get those results. And I ended up kind of losing myself a little bit in the process because I was trying to be too much like someone else. Yeah. And I think that's really what and has empowered me in everything that I teach is I've had a lot of that training. You know, really my main focus now is sales coaching, sales training, sales consulting. And in the sales world for many years, particularly at Gartner, where they were investing a ton of money, you can imagine if you, you know, you're doing billions of dollars a year. There's some pretty robust sales training that we were getting. And yet never did I suck more than when somebody said like, follow this five-step program. And then on the third email say, have you been eaten by an alligator? You know, (laughs) there's all these like super cheesy things, you know? And, um, and I just, I realized I had was just myself. I connected with human beings. And one of the stories I tell in the book is about when I was 
being shadowed by my boss on a call. And he wrote a note while I'm speaking to a prospect. He writes a note on my desk, too jolly, be more serious. I, to this day, I laugh because that's you know just who I am. I'm a naturally positive person. Believe it or not, that is had more criticism than praise many times over my life. But that's, you know, again, that comes from I wake up every day. I'm excited to be here. My goal every day is to create an experience of a life I really want to live and to be the person that I want to be and that I'm proud of. And if I can do those two things, man, like I feel like I'm winning. And it just turns out that other people want to be around that and they want to learn from that. And so in my business that has rewarded me and I work way less now than I used to, but I make more money. I have more fun. I get to be around better people. So again, you know, I've had that reward, but I think that's available to anyone who is willing to do the work, I guess, of tuning into what it is about themselves that they love and who they want to be and what are their core values. And then, you know what? You just, everyone's figuring it out. So you just kind of go from there. And then the last thing I'll say about that is there's also an element of personal accountability because in owning the experience of the life I create, that means I can't blame anyone else. You know, I can't blame other people. I can't blame my husband. I can't blame my kids. Can't blame COVID. (laughs) Like it's kind of always up to me. And it really is living that mantra. If it is to be, it is up to me. And what that might mean is that I'm actually just a giant control freak. That's also possible. (laughs) (laughs) If it is to be, it's up to me. I feel like you've dropped so many quotes already, Charlene. Like I actually, and I know Whitney does this too, but I've actually been in my notes writing down some of the quotes because I'm like, oh, that's gold. We have to share that. I think that to piggyback on what you said, it seems like there is a lot of blame, I suppose, in looking outside of ourselves. And, And it seems to be at least, and I don't think it's a recent thing. Certainly, I think humans have been you know, dabbling in victim consciousness for a long time. But what you said really sparked something in me that I'm noticing that I've done in that, oh, we're in a pandemic and that's why things are hard. Or, you know, oh, look what the government's doing and the insurrection and the political uprest and there's this and there's that. And I'm really glad you said that because it's getting me to take a deeper look at how I've unconsciously said some of these things, you know, of, oh, well, it's hard because government, COVID, people, this, unemployment, you know, California, you can insert a variety of different things. And I think it's kind of in vogue right now to look on social media and see people complaining because things are hard because of insert the blank. And, you know, it reminds of someone we mention a lot here on the podcast, one of my absolute favorite authors and mythologians, Joseph Campbell, where He says in his book, Reflections on the Art of Living, that, you know, you're trying to fix the world and you're trying to fix life, but you're barking up the wrong tree because life has always been pretty messy. It doesn't mean life is bad. It doesn't mean that existence is bad. But if you look at the swath of human history, there has always been some sort of challenge or war or pestilence or disease or something that is not necessarily what humans want to face. But here we are. You know, we've been on this earth for however many, you know, tens of thousands of years and and yet we're facing another challenge. So to your point, I think it's important to bring that to the forefront of we can't blame life for, I suppose, you know, to be blunt, like, you know, fucking us up. And I'm so glad you said that because I feel like it's really in vogue to kind of do that right now publicly. It is. And also there's a great expression 
And here's another one. So get out your notebook. <laughs> another expression, what you focus on expands. And so I know that I am going to face challenges. There are going to be things that are hard. And I know that I am more than capable of doing what's hard, right? I had an experience really life-changing, which sounds so corny, but really it was life-changing. A few years ago, I went to an experience called the Enlightened Warrior Training Camp. And it was a week-long experience where I actually didn't 100% know that I wasn't going to be, you know, kidnapped and, (laughs) you know, sold into slavery when I went because there was so little information about what this would actually entail. And essentially, it was a week-long experience where every day I was mentally, physically, emotionally challenged. And every day was looking at whether it was a mountain, like a physical mountain or an obstacle course or sweat lodge, there was something different every day to be completely challenged. And out of that, to become an enlightened warrior, I had to really integrate or really internalize some key principles about what it means to be an enlightened warrior. Are you interested in hearing what those proclamations are, what those commitments are? A hundred percent. In fact, <laughs> we have a course called Wellness Warrior Training. So we're like, ooh, this is right up our alley. Yeah. So this would be perfect for you because essentially we had these commitments and every time we were facing something. So to give you an example, I am not afraid of heights. I am afraid of falling to my death. So I don't go high places (laughs) usually, or I didn't. And so one of the things we had to do one day was we had to climb to the top of a telephone pole and walk across a a wire to another telephone pole blindfolded. So this was not on my to-do list when I started. And so while we're doing those types of things, part of what we had to do is recite these warrior commitments. And so I'll give you a few of them. So one of them is they all start with, I am a warrior. So I am a warrior. I act in spite of fear. I am a warrior. I am willing to do whatever it takes. I am a warrior. I do everything at 100%. I am a warrior. I am willing to do what's hard. That's the one we just talked about. The next one is I act in spite of my mood. I am bigger than any obstacle. I succeed in spite of anything, and I never give up. Those are the warrior principles. I got chills listening to that because I thought... Oh man. First of all, the principles really, really resonated deep in my being. The second thing is I am terrified of falling to my death. I think that distinction you said, Charlene, of even as a young, young child, I remember heights terrifying me and then later got clarity. It's not being high. It's the fear that I may fall and I may die. And I've willfully chosen to do things over the course of my life, like go skydiving and things of that nature. And as you were describing walking across a wire between telephone poles with a blindfold on, I got a little sick to my stomach when you were even describing it. I was like, oh my God, I kind of want to throw up right now. (laughs) Yep. It's amazing what you can do. And I think the key is there's a difference between challenging yourself and hard work and struggle. I personally don't believe in struggle. And in fact, when I was little, my dad, I had one of those little pound a peg Uh, toys where it looks like a little bench, it's wood, and there's different shape 
holes and then you have these pegs and you hammer into the different shape holes. And I'll say my first full sentence actually was because of this toy. And I don't usually swear. I'm actually not somebody who uses a lot of swear words. And my very first full sentence was, oh shit, I can't get this fucking thing in here. (laughs) That was your first full sentence. That that was my first full sentence. And I'll tell you, I don't usually swear at all. Usually if I'm going to, I'll say like, ah, F you know, or something. But what happened was my dad came over and he kind of looked at it. He laughed because that's, we're a sick family like that. We laugh when our children swear. We don't correct to them because that's what we do. And he said, you know, here's the trick. And he had me kind of line it up, round pegs, the round hole, literally. And he said, if you're forcing it, you're doing it wrong. If you're forcing it, you're doing it wrong. And that has been true. I've heard those words in my mind so many times over my life, including my first marriage. I'm married now in the second time. And jobs that I've had, there's been so many instances where I could hear my dad's voice saying, if you're forcing it, you're doing it wrong. And so I don't think it's about forcing something or pushing yourself in a way that doesn't feel good innately. You kind of know when you get that icky feeling. It's about challenging yourself so that you can do more, You know, so that you can push yourself to be able to increase your confidence, increase your capacity, and get more out of life, you know, to live more life. Well, I want to talk about this distinction a little deeper, Charlene, because I feel, first of all, compelled to discuss one of the bylines in your Instagram bio, which says growing a business shouldn't be painful. I think that what we get in society right now is a lot of mixed messages around hard work, struggle, suffering, and pain. Because on the one side, we see certain entrepreneurs, business coaches, success thought leaders, etc., saying you got to hustle, you got to grind. If you're hanging it up at 11 p.m., you know that your competitors probably working till midnight or one in the morning or two in the morning. And that it's that extra hour or two or that extra 15 minutes that puts you ahead. We get those kind of messages. Don't stop hustling. Don't stop grinding. And even the word grind to me makes me think of friction and pain and chafing and rubbing up against some hard service, right? We hear grind all the time. So when you say growing a business shouldn't be painful, my curiosity is what is the distinction between hard work and having a work ethic and the chasm between getting to where things are painful and things are a struggle and things are a grind? And how can we work hard and maybe disassociate the connotation that we have that, well, It's going to be painful. It's going to be a struggle. You're going to sweat. You're going to bleed. You're going to stay up late at night. You're not going to be able to sleep. And people celebrating that too, you know, in our culture. People say, yeah, I only got an hour of sleep last night, but you know what? It's okay. This is just the way it is. So I know that might be a lot to unpack, but I'm curious about your perspective and the distinctions in that conversation. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One is another dadism. My father passed away in 2010, by the way, and was my hero. And I invoke him a lot. But he used to always say, you know, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. So maybe growing a business in some ways sometimes feels a little painful in the moment because we're pushing ourselves or we're working hard. And there are moments when, yeah, that work ethic has to be there. The distinction I would make, I think, as I, and I'm saying this out loud, I'm, I haven't really articulated it this way before, I don't think. The distinction I would make is the difference between push and pull. And so when things have been painful in a way that's not necessary or that isn't 
really helping me or isn't serving me, it feels like I'm being pushed. You know, it feels like I'm getting an external pressure that I'm doing something for other people, that I haven't set good boundaries, that I'm outside my comfort zone in a way that doesn't feel good to me because it's there's a lack of alignment. And then on the other side, there's a sense of being compelled and sort of pulled versus pushed, where it comes from a very innate place where, yes, you know, I do work. My husband would tell you, I work every single day, probably in some way, you know, and I enjoy it for the most part. I am very intentional about the work that I do and I feel compelled to do it. And one of the reasons why I love coaching salespeople is they have head trash that what their job is as salespeople is to push other people and to make other people's lives painful because they're trying to convince or push them to do something. When really what sales is, is helping to compel people to see why they want to do certain things or why they want to buy certain products or services. And so at a high level, as you presented that, what came to my mind is that difference between feeling pushed to do something externally versus feeling compelled and you know inspired and drawn to do the work from a deep internal place. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what came to my mind as you were talking about it. Yeah, it does make sense. And what it also brings up for me is <laughs> some sales training that I've received in the past that I'm reflecting on now, Charlene. And I remember being in different MLMs. I'm not going to name who they are, but I remember not only that, but also reflecting back to college. And I graduated with a, a marketing communications degree and remembering that in some of the classes and also in the sales training I received later in my career, it was sort of this, again, formula of find out what the pain points of your audience are, agitate the problem, you know, call it out, agitate it, create some sort of emotional charge in them, and then offer them a solution. And if they hem and haw that they don't have enough money or they've got to check with their husband or wife, then sort of I'll call it kind of manipulation in the sales tactics that I learned, which was, well, you know, if you pass this by, the window is going to close and I need an answer from you, you know, by the end of this call, because this is going to be shutting down by the end of the day and sort of this scarcity thing built in. And I'm curious with your approach, how does it differ and what have you found effective in how you train sales and what you've seen in your career? Yeah. And it's changed a little bit since COVID. So I do some work with a research-based sales training organization. And so everything that I teach is not only what feels good to me, it's also supported by science. Science. So, you know, there's that. And it's really about taking the lead and being that trusted advisor. My specialty tends to be more on the services side or high value products that have services associated with them. And it's starting with really helping not just to understand what their needs and pain is, it's helping the other person understand what they should be thinking about and why there might be a case for making a change. And so it starts much earlier in the process in terms of how you know, how you want to connect with that person, resonate with their real needs are, because a lot of people don't know. And I think the old school way was kind of like, let's have a call to discuss your, you know, opportunities and challenges. And then they would get on a call and ask questions like, you know, what are your goals and objectives for 2021? And, and kind of almost conduct an interview. 
And then at the end say, okay, well, we have a solution for you (laughs) and much like talked about. And really the core of everything that I do is about having meaningful conversations as human beings. And if you go into a conversation as an expert and know things that would benefit your, in this case, your buyer, your prospect, you lead with that and have a conversation to see, do they see how potentially their life could be different if they were doing things differently or if they had a different way of approaching the world or what's at risk. You know, often what we sell is not just the benefits, but the impact of doing nothing. And so it's really about the conversation though. And I really believe that if there's someone who doesn't need what I'm selling or doesn't need what my clients are selling, then that's okay. You know, that we're not here to convince anyone. It's about alignment. And also we have to be brave enough and compelling enough to help people understand when they don't know what they need. And I think a lot of people don't know. So we get to be the expert, the grown up in the room and help them on that path and be that trusted advisor that's next to them at the table, not sitting across from them doing a like a job interview. Right. So I would say at a high level, the best thing is go from job interview or interview style to meaningful, caring conversation. I love that, Charlene. And, and you know, this reminds me of a question that I have for you that I, I think I've been asking a lot of people because I really struggle with this is finding more confidence and pushing through all of the criticism. And it was so wonderful to hear you share from your perspective, get more criticism than uh, praise, perhaps. I'm not sure if you use the word praise, but it's something that I struggle with so much and I haven't overcome it. Despite having so many tools and so much awareness, I understand this at a logical level, but at an emotional level, it's so challenging for me to push through criticism. And I think at this stage in my life, it's just that I grew up as a people pleaser. I grew up thinking like I needed to constantly change and adapt to what made other people feel good. And I grew up with a lot of these senses of not being good enough. And so it triggers that thought process in my head when somebody tells me something or someone pushes back or even going back to what you were saying earlier, Charlene, about perfectionism. Like There's so much of a desire to be perfect, but it's truly impossible because no matter how much you feel like you're doing the right thing, you'll still come across people that are critical of it. There'll still be somebody out there that's you know, troll or um, what's the the heckler, you know, like there's someone out there that is finding faults. And that is really tough for me. I, I have been able to push forward in a lot of ways, but it still hurts a lot. You know, so many examples of this, uh, two came to mind as you were speaking. One is how like on TikTok or any other platform, you'll put out something that feels right to you. You'll feel really confident, or I should say I will. I'll put it, I'll, I'll speak from my experience. Like I put out a video a few days ago, for example, and somebody comes up and is like, yeah, but that's not good enough. Like those weren't their words, but that's basically what they were saying. They're like, your solution is not good enough. And I kindly responded trying to get them to see it from my perspective. And they still, they came back again, like, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh my gosh, like no matter what I say or do, there's going to be one of those people that's telling me it's not good enough. And my like little inner child is thinking, 
oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Like I focus on that constantly and I got to change. I got to be better. I got to try again. Like I, I screwed up. The same thing has also happened in the sales process, you know, as you're mentioning, when people feel like something's not for them, sometimes they're very vocal about it. And I've had so many experiences as an entrepreneur putting out courses, for example, and someone comes up and criticizes the price or criticizes the program. We mentioned wellness warrior training earlier, and someone in there recently came on and public, you know, they're a student, they enrolled in it, and then they publicly commented like, you know, this really isn't what as good as I thought it was going to be. And I already knew all this information. And they're like saying it publicly. And I got so triggered because I felt like, They're pointing out the flaws. And again, that not good enough feeling comes up. And I find myself almost paralyzed by that. And that's why I'm bringing this up, Charlene, because you've been doing this longer than us and you've dealt with so much of this. I'm curious, how do you handle this? How do you navigate and how do you push through And lastly, do you ever feel not good enough? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, definitely growing up, that was a huge issue for me. Um, You know, my parents were divorced and as much as my dad was my hero, um, you know, my mom had a lot of issues and it was very difficult, you know, very, I had a very difficult childhood and that not good enough button got formed (laughs) very, uh, very early on. And what I've learned going back to that expression, I I shared earlier, what you focus on expands. And so I've learned that when I get that trigger, and I'll tell you what, when I I had one video on TikTok go to about a million, just under a million views. And you can imagine a lot of the comments there were not necessarily positive. And there were a few that I was, I found myself like living rent-free in my head. Right. And so the trick that I've learned actually came from Eckhart Tolle, and he talks about tipping your hat. When you see something that you're trying to release, like that not good enough button or badge or whatever, to acknowledge it and say, I see you and kind of like tip your hat and visualize that that trigger or that negative thought is just like someone walking down the street. They're coming towards you. You can see it coming. They kind of hang around for like a minute. And then you just tip your hat, say, I see you and you keep walking. And so for some reason, that visualization really works for me. I sort of tip my hat and say, I see you. And the less energy I give it, the smaller it becomes. It's kind of a miracle. It's a work and it is a work in progress. I actually, when I started my business, again, this is many years ago, I had a friend of 20 years that triggered that not good enough button in me every conversation we had. And it was interesting because I didn't realize it. It took me a long time of repeated instances where I would hang up the phone and feel kind of gross, like kind of sad and like judging myself and rethinking everything I said to her, everything she said to me. And it took me almost a year finally to get the courage to say, you know what, this isn't working for me. I don't feel good when I talk to you. And I I actually, going back to my thing about 100% accountability, I can't control her and what she does but I could sure control whether or not I want to be around that nonsense. You know, I had to decide that I deserved better and that there were better friends out there for me. And it was one of the best things I ever did. And it's funny because she's someone who still come like is sort of in the family sphere. And literally even now, this is seven years later, every time I spend time with her, or she's in like dinner or something, it, she'll start to trigger that same feeling with one comment she can say, you know, like, oh, so is your daughter going to get a job? Like she'll just say something like that, you know, and my daughter's a pre-med student and, you know, probably isn't going to go work at 
the tanning place, you know, or whatever, you know, she was implying. But I would get like this sort of defensive sort of feeling. And so I've learned to pay attention to those feelings, ask myself, is there something different I could really do? So is there something in what they're saying, whether it's a comment on TikTok or someone in my life that makes a comment? Is there a piece of personal accountability there where I need to be open to the feedback and maybe change something? And if not, you know what? Tip my hat, let it walk on by and make a decision that I am not going to give my energy and to things that are not going to not going to serve me and what I the experience of the life I want to create. And man, it, it isn't easy. It is something that comes up over and over again. I mean, even my husband can say things to me sometimes that I will feel that trigger come up, you know, and, and I know he doesn't mean it the way that I'm taking it. It's just that old programming. And here's what I would say when people see my bio, one of my certifications is in brain-based success coaching. And really all that means is I'm a brain geek and I love neuroscience just for fun. And one of the things that happens is we are uh, programmed biologically towards the negative. We are programmed to look for the threat, look for the thing that might you know, inhibit our survival and potentially go into fight or flight mode. And so the negative is instantaneous. We're always looking for the saber-toothed tiger in the room. It's deep in our subconscious. And so, for example, that not good enough reaction, you know, there's a re- it served us at one point. There was some place in our life that we learned that and we felt like we needed that for our survival. It's just that now it no longer serves us. And the way to rewrite those negative programs is with the positive, uh, we whether it's the visualization of tipping your hat or po- I'm a big believer in positive affirmations. And we could talk about that if you guys want to, uh, about affirmations. And scientifically, positivity takes a lot more energy, a lot more vibration than negativity in order for it to take hold. So it has to be repetitive, consistent, and intentional. And I'll get off my soapbox now, but that, you know, (laughs) did that answer your question? It did. And it's a phenomenal soapbox, you know, like we would be cheering in the audience and nodding our heads a lot if we were watching you on stage right now. And I'm so grateful for that because the tipping your hat visualization is really helpful. And it's interesting because I don't remember reading that. I've read a few of Eckhart's work and seen him speak. And it's just like, perfect. He's a very soothing person, I find. And and as soon as you mentioned his name, I was like, this is going to be good. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that. And you know, it's interesting too, because when you said that comment about examining and thinking like, is there anything else I can do? That's where I get stuck. And and so it's kind of an aha moment for me, Charlene, is I think I got programmed very, very early on to be constantly improving. And what's interesting is sometimes that is helpful. You know, I was drawn to your account on TikTok because I love to optimize, but I need to set more boundaries with that. I need to get, give myself a break and not constantly be working and changing and evolving because that's exhausting. And going back to something that Jason said earlier, I think our culture encourages that. The whole word hustle is about like, you got to keep going. As he said, you got to keep grinding. You got to keep pushing yourself. There's always more. And I think that actually is very detrimental to us because 
I'm reading the book Atomic Habits right now. And one of the lines that really sticks out for me in the first chapter is that there's always going to be another goal for us. There's always going to be another mountain for us to climb. And we'll never feel satisfied if we're focused on the satisfaction of that goal. Instead, if we focus on that journey and the process of it, we can find further satisfaction. But I think to add to that, we need to give ourselves time where we're not striving and we're not working and we're not on the journey. Just like if you were actually on a journey by foot, you'd have to stop and rest. Even though you are eager to get to your destination, you have to give yourself those periods of time where you say, it's okay for me to stop for now and I don't have to keep going all the time. And I think that's the aha moment that I'm getting from everything you shared, Charlene, is allowing myself to stop, allowing myself to say, I I truly did enough. And just because somebody doesn't find that to be enough, that doesn't mean that I have to listen to them and keep pushing myself harder. Yeah. And the context I would give you, or I guess to add to that an additional perspective is uh, the question I ask in probably every client meeting I have or (laughs) every conversation is, what are our goals here? Really, what is the goal you're trying to achieve? And I think part of what you're describing comes from most people don't think big enough. And so in those moments, what they think is their goal, it's easy for that to get sort of sabotaged. And yet when you know your bigger goal, your bigger mission, those little comments, the little moments when things don't go well, and maybe you even legitimately make a mistake or do something that isn't good enough, you know, there are those moments. And if you look at it in the context of the bigger goal, it's not that big a deal, you know, and that for me, that's why the embracing of my, the keen sense of my own mortality has been so liberating for me, because if I think about really the true goal for me is that I want to know that every day I feel good about the life I am creating. I am playing a long game. I am hoping to live for a very long time. And in every moment, it's about, yeah, it's about creating an experience of life that includes having a business that I'm proud of, creating financial abundance and financial freedom for myself and my family, you know, making the world a better place, leaving a legacy. There are other milestone goals. And really, the, the big goal is to create an experience of a life that I'm so excited and happy to live. And whenever that day comes and it's all done, that I'll be able to say, yeah, you know, that was a good freaking ride. Like that, I feel good about the work that I did. I feel good about the days that I lived. I laughed. I worked. I cried. I, you know, whatever the things are. Right. Um, and so what I would say is in those moments when, when it's not just about taking a break to take a break, because you quote unquote need to, because then that opens up a whole new layer of criticism, self-criticism, like, oh, like I really should take a day off. I really, you know, I get into that where I sometimes will be like, oh, I really need to take a break. But why? Like, what is the goal? Who says, right? And the reason, so I go to like, what are our goals here? My goal is to live a rich, fulfilling, vibrant, happy, healthy life. The reason to take a break sometimes is so that uh, like actually next week I'm taking three full days off, which I haven't done in a very long time, where I don't mean just like taking a day off, but like actually where I'm, I've already told my family, I am taking care of no one but myself for three days. And the reason for that is not because I should or could or deserve it or need to. It's because I know that 
because I'm playing a longer game that by taking a break, by taking care of myself, by having that clarity break, I am going to be able to do more later. I'm going to make myself healthier. I'm going to open myself up to innovation and creativity in a way that I can't do when I'm going a million miles an hour. And so I guess all that to say that, yes, we need to take a break and it's for a bigger goal, not just because someone says, you got to take a break. You have to work out. You have to be healthy. You don't have to do anything. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. (laughs) It's just know what your goal is and make sure that you're thinking big enough and just being the best you can be for your business, for example, or writing the best emails, you know, that's not that important. What's important is like what, how that fits into the bigger goal and reminding yourself of what the bigger goal is so that you can prioritize what, again, what you're going to give your energy to and what you're going to let go. Yes. And, you know, you gave me another aha moment, Charlene. I'm so grateful because when you asked that question, what is your goal? I suddenly had this realization that I think I've spent so much of my life with a goal of pleasing other people. And so when somebody shows dissatisfaction or criticism, I think I failed. I think I didn't please them. They're dissatisfied. I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. I got to try harder. I got to do it again. And the problem is, is as I said earlier, no matter how hard I've tried in all of my endeavors, everything I'm doing, whether it's creating content or making a product, or I could go on and on about these constant scenarios, being a friend, you know, when I feel like I've hurt someone, dissatisfied someone, bothered someone, irritated them, let someone down, it's like, a huge sense of failure. So listening to you, Charlene, it's like, I need to stop. Like, why did that become a goal of my life? If I know I can't please everyone and please myself simultaneously, I need to step away from that goal and that desire and find something else to focus on because that's no longer serving me. And this leads me to another thing I want to touch on with you today, which is around the law of attraction. I'm curious about how you're feeling about that because you mentioned affirmations and you also mentioned before we started recording today that you wanted to touch upon the law of attraction, which is something that Jason and I are interested in, but kind of have mixed feelings on these days. You know, in the past, I was really into it. I was into manifesting and visualizing and affir- and saying affirmations, but I almost hit like a I don't even know what the right term is here. Maybe you can jump in, Jason, about how you're feeling about it to better express it. Yeah, I think I just have mixed emotions around it. I think that there are fundamental principles that the law of attraction resonates. And I I have certainly seen effective in my life as an experiment. And then there are other aspects of the law of attraction that I think for me are a bit How do I say this? I mean, I've got crystals all over the house. I've got my mantras. I've got my prayer beads. I mean, I'm a very woo person. What I was going to say is there was an eye-opening meme last year where there were some interesting people kind of deconstructing certain influencers talking about manifesting and magnetism and law of attraction. And they said, (laughs) it was a play on the Maybelline theme song that said, maybe you manifested, maybe it's privilege. And it's like, Mm, Yeah. I mean, there's some people that are walking around talking about manifesting that if you maybe look under the hood, you're like, oh, okay, I see the life you grew up in. I see the advantages that you had. So when you talk about manifesting, it's almost like there's not enough conversation around 
the foundation that was laid for you in your life that allowed you to manifest those things. So I have some concerns with some of the way that people are talking about manifesting because I think that privilege may play a big part in that. Yeah, I definitely see that, particularly if the definition or the way we talk about law of attraction is materialistic. And interestingly enough, I would say I use the principles of you know what you focus on ex- expands more for things that are not physical or financial. And also I know that I've used it to overcome some scarcity mindset, that not good enough kind of reprogramming. So I do think it's helpful in terms of reprogramming our brain to an abundance mindset financially. And even more importantly, I believe it's been scientifically proven that we can create better health and peace within our hearts and minds, you know, through thinking about things a different way. And so I would, again, sort of zoom out to the definition or the use of the tool. And sure, like if somebody's, it's kind of like, you know, there are rich assholes in the world and there are poor assholes in the world. (laughs) So, you know, somebody just being financially abundant doesn't mean that they're an abundant person, even if they say they meditate or, you know, used law of attraction or whatever. And I think it's more, yeah, just about living a life a certain way. Also, I think it is healthy to have that perspective and to have an honest conversation with ourselves. Uh, Particularly, I would say if we are, you know, certainly if we're white and uh, middle class and we have, we are privileged. I mean, there's just no question. I mean, historically and in current times, we are privileged, you know, it's that's the reality and also how we approach the world, how we think about our lives, the good we try to do in our lives and, and the way we treat other people and how we, in whatever way feels comfortable or feels like we can, make an impact to make the world a better place so that, you know, that isn't the, the overriding factor. But generally, I would say, you know, at a, I also would say that when it comes to things like law of attraction or whatever, I think the reason why it's worked for me is it's never been kind of a something that I've done with great intensity all the time. You know, there's like little moments every day that I think about what I'm grateful for. And I think that's a big piece too, by the way, is gratitude has a piece to play in that. And even if it is being grateful for a certain level of privilege and acknowledging that. And also, I'm so grateful that people in my life, my kids, and and I just know so many amazing individuals now. And I was able to make room for that because I was willing to let go of one person who wasn't that great for me. But the idea of law of attraction, it happens in every, it can happen in every moment in so many small ways. It doesn't mean you have to have a vision board. Like I don't do a vision board. I don't know about you guys. Do you do a vision board? I, for the first time, Charlene, shredded my vision board. Shredded Shredded. it? Shredded it. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Good for you. How about you, Whitney? Do you do a vision board? I occasionally do. I haven't done one recently because it hasn't been a priority, frankly, but I have in the past. In my vision board, I like to put on my desktop background because I'm on my computer more than anything else. And I found that it's a really helpful way for me to keep seeing the images on a more regular basis. And that's been really effective. Yeah. So here's another one of my mantras. (laughs) Notebooks at the ready. Your other tweetable is that small things done are always better for me than great things planned. 
small things done over great things planned. And for the longest friggin' time, I had do vision board on my to-do list because I felt like that was going to be the catalyst or my law of attraction kind of thing that I was going to do. And it was a project. And I was it was weird because I was sort of beating myself up, you know, I kept moving do vision board over, you know, forward to my to-do list. That was a few years ago. And I officially decided to not do a vision board. And instead, I look for those micro moments of visualization. And I actually don't so much call it law of attraction as sort of alignment thinking or expansion thinking or creative visualization. We're just, I'll be in the shower and I have a little visualization I do where I imagine that, you know, the world, the universe is conspiring for me. So I have this little visualization, this quick visualization that I do where I imagine like a whole bunch of little lights in the earth kind of coming up, creating energy for me, conspiring on my behalf. And then up in the sky, there's a whole bunch of little lights of all the energy in the universe, like coming down and inspiring, you know, success in my life. And it's just these little moments of just imagining that I'm not alone that I have all this energy around me that's kind of helping me. And it's just a moment of a visualization. And other times when I wake up in the morning, I might just lay in bed and just say some affirmations like life is a gift. And I wake up every day and realize that that's just what life is a gift. Life is a gift. I'm so grateful for everything that I have. And I sort of kind of think through and sort of acknowledge each person in my family and sort of visualize sort of visiting them while they're sleeping, giving them a kiss on the forehead and saying, thank you for you. Thank you for you. And I visualize my house and my living room and I'm on a lake and I look out at the lake and I'm like, thank you for this view. Like, how lucky am I? You know, and so I just put that energy out there in all these little ways as I walk around. And today I walked outside to cats. I walked outside to, uh, we have a little porch where my cats like to go. So I opened the porch door and I, I let the cats go in there and it was cold. And then I walked back inside and it was nice and warm. And I said, gosh, my life is filled with so much warmth. I have so much warmth in my life. Again, it's just like all those little micro moments of appreciating and attracting more of what I want in my life, I believe that that has had a much bigger impact on everything that I've created and everything that's been created for me uh, than if I had done a vision board. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like that project, it doesn't need to be a project. You know, it's the micro moments and anyone can do it anytime. How do we start to foster a sense of appreciation? Because I feel like that's the word that comes to mind, Charlene, is, is just daily appreciation. And kind of going back to what we talked about earlier in this episode of people focusing on maybe, you know, the more negative aspects, I suppose, of life or, or victim consciousness or feeling like they're stuck in, in metaphorical quicksand in their lives. It's almost like this. What I found for myself and have talked to other people, it's really easy to feel appreciation when things are, quote, going good in life. But when we're faced with massive challenges or pain or struggle or those things, in those moments, how do you recommend we kind of break through that and anchor in appreciation in the tougher moments. Yeah. And I, you know, I mentioned, I, you know, I lost both my parents and I had a lot of grief about that, especially my dad. And when I actually, I was at the Enlightened Warrior training camp and I asked, there was a guy there, his name was Hawk. He was an Indian chief. And I said, you know, he mentioned that he lost his 17 year old daughter to cancer. And I said, how do you do that? And he said, well, you know, I said, how do you get over that? How do you reconcile your grief? And he said, I, he said, the way I look at it, he said, is death is a moment. 
And for me to give so much energy to that moment, it would take away all of the amazing 17 years that we had and all of those memories and what a cheat that would be. You know, how unfair would that be? And I went into this very intense meditation experience and I actually, I know this sounds crazy, but I had a visit like with my dad and there were no drugs involved, believe it or not. (laughs) There's no peyote or anything. But I had a visit with my dad where I just, I had a breakthrough where I reconciled my grief by just basking in the appreciation for all the time I had with him. I mean, he was 80 when he died and we had great experiences. He taught me so much. And so from there, there's been, again, all these other moments. I mean, I'll share today could have been a really shitty day because my son got sent home from school because the kid who sits next to him was diagnosed with COVID. Like I was tested positive for COVID. And I could, you know, my initial reaction was, oh, like, I so don't have time for this today. And There is a part of me that's really annoyed and scared. And of course, there's a lot of negative feelings that I could indulge. And yet, how lucky are we that the school recognized that there was an exposure risk. They called, they took my son out of the situation. We have healthcare. We are privileged in so many ways. And so after this, I get to go take him for a COVID test. We have access to that. We have a family that in a home that can support quarantining him if we need to. And I'm so grateful that he is healthy. You know, it could, I want him to stay healthy. I'm going to put lots of energy into his good health. I'm going to put lots of energy into what we're grateful for. And, and so it takes intentionality and it's not always easy and it feels way better. I feel, again, this might be my inner control freak. I feel like it gives me something to focus on (laughs) that I can control. So it's in those moments. It is those small things done over great things planned and doing the best we can, you know, in every moment to see how we can shift our perspective so that we create the experience of life we want to live. And I'm going back to that same thing. I'm like a broken record here. No, it's good. We need reinforcement. And I think it's important sometimes that we reflect on these messages and hear them multiple times. You know, we, we hear from marketing that it takes a minimum of seven impressions to start to sort of plant a seed in our subconscious. And I feel like with all the messages you've shared here today, Charlene, and all the wonderful isms that Whitney and I are, have been furiously writing in our notebooks, we're going to have so many quotables and tweetables for your episode. I'm kind of chomping at the bit to share those. And as we get ready to wrap this episode, I just want to take a minute to talk about cats because I feel like we haven't done enough justice to the cat world. And before we wrap, I have a sort of a, a macro question. You know, some people are like, oh, I'm a cat person. I'm team dog. And, you know, I would never, ever go to the other side. And I'm curious now that you are a cat lady, as am I, what is it about the energy and the demeanor of cats that you enjoy? What do you like about their personalities and their general I suppose, joie de vivre with life? Yeah, I. it's a good question. I am definitely team cat. I have zero desire to have a dog. No, you know, no offense to anyone who loves dogs. You know, it's just uh, the cats are, they, I, in a weird way, I think I sort of secretly love that I think they're judging me all the time. Maybe that's just indulging old programming <laughs> that I have, <laughs> right? They just walk around and just look at me like, yeah, you know, you're going to eat that. You know? And I also, at the same time, 
have this sort of unconditional kind of consistency about them. And they're not really that demanding. I mean, sure, they want to eat, you know, and stuff like that. But we have two cats that are very different personality types. And for example, Rose, I call her Rosie. She's an older cat and she's just a lovey. You know, if I am next to her and I put my hand to go pet her, she'll take my hand and kind of like snuggle it under her whole body and she'll just like cuddle in. And it's that immediate feeling of unconditional love and I don't know, warmth and just that warm, fuzzy kind of feeling. And then our other cat, Jet, is a rescue. He was a street cat. We saved him off a kill list. And he's a tough guy. You know, he tries to play all tough. And if you go near to pet him, he'll kind of roll over and start to like sort of bite and paw. But he has soft paws. There's no claws or anything. So, you know, he's just trying to be playful. And it just has that moment of taking, you know, he has this way of taking one's mind off of everything else. And cats have that captivation, I guess, that, that way of captivating attention that is so unique. And I don't know, maybe dogs do it too. And I just have never had experience with dogs. And they don't need to go be walked. You know, their poops are pretty small, pretty easy to take care of. <laughs> you know, for fairly low maintenance, which I really appreciate because I do not need more to do. I just, I love your summation, Charlene. And I'm shaking my head the whole time and going like, yeah, yeah, this is why I love cats too. So I just appreciate, Charlene, your sense of joyfulness and lightness, your wisdom, your playfulness, your personality is just so fantastic. And it feels like we have just been in a room together next to a fireplace, having a mug of hot cocoa, just talking about life with you. And to me, that's just so endearing. And in light of this episode, for you, dear listener, if you've enjoyed Charlene's wisdom and her nuggets of gold she's dropped today. We are going to link to her website in the show notes again at our website, which is wellevator.com. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can click on the podcast section. That'll take you directly to the show notes where we will link to Charlene's website, which is charleneignites.com, her great Instagram feed, and of course, her book, The Email Cemetery, where bad sales emails go to die and how to resuscitate yours. I actually want to grab a paperback version of this now knowing you, Charlene, because I feel like your personality is just going to be infused in these pages. And since I'm the one writing the emails in our business here, and Whitney's always trying to help me optimize, I feel like I need this book. So in conclusion, we just adore you, Charlene. You're such a gem. And thank you for sharing your heart and your spirit and your wisdom here on the podcast today. My pleasure. Full disclosure, I had two objectives here today, Charlene, which was to help Jason write even better emails and to get him on TikTok. I'm just kidding. But, but I, I'm glad that he's going to get your book, Charlene, because that just means for our listener that we'll be even better communicators whenever we send you a message. And you can thank Charlene for that. My pleasure. And I am the easiest person to find online. I'm Charlene Ignites everywhere. People can link into me, TikTok. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And I'm always excited to help people. If someone is struggling with writing their emails or they feel like they have sales head trash, they're welcome to send me a message and we can have a conversation or have a quick email exchange or whatever. This is fun for me and I'm excited to help as many people as I can. And I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 